0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu.
1: Welcome to another edition of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Edgar Wright has a new film out, and that's cause for celebration. I fell in love with his work back in 2004, just before Shaun of the Dead came out. I had a friend who worked in a store that sold British import DVDs, and he told me to buy a British TV series called Spaced. It was directed by Wright and co-written with its stars Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson. The show was brilliant. Not only was it funny, but it was insanely clever and rich with pop culture references.
2: Brian, did you notice that everything that transpired in those three films—and I mean everything—can be attributed to the actions of one very minor character? Who? The gunner on the Star Destroyer at the beginning of the first film. How come? Well, because if the gunner had shot the pod that C-3PO and R2 were in, they wouldn't have got to Tatooine. They wouldn't have met Luke. Luke wouldn't have met Ben. They wouldn't have met Han and Chewie. They wouldn't have rescued Princess Leia. None of it would have happened. Chaos theory.
1: I fell in love with the show, and then when I saw Shaun of the Dead, I knew I had found a new director to cherish.
2: Any zombies out there?
1: Don't say that. What? That. What? That. The dead
2: word. Don't say it. Why not? Because it's ridiculous. (sighs) All right. Are there any out there, though? Can't say any. Maybe it's not as bad as all that. Oh, no, there they are.
3: I think originally one of the first ideas was, was to call it Tea Time of the Dead. So it'd be like the English, you know, night, day, dawn, tea time. Not really, no, the, 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 the initial idea was to kind of do a, almost like a companion film to one of the Romero films in that to have kind of the story of two little people in an epic situation, really.
1: I got to interview Wright and Peg at Comic-Con in 2004. We wanted to find our
3: own twist on the horror comedy genre, and so the idea was to kind of have a zombie film that's not really about the zombies.
1: I remember they weren't that well-known back then, and the studio hadn't set up a room to do interviews, so I ended up speaking to them in a stairwell at Comic-Con. Shaun of the Dead showed how to construct the perfect movie. It showed how to use opening scenes, that are usually just padding in a horror film, to genuinely make you care for the characters, and to set up things that will pay off later.
3: I think as well with this day and age is that, you know, films too often cut straight to the chase, and I think you lose a lot of Time for character development, like a lot of the films that we were watching in sort of like that inspired us. Things like kind of Back to the Future, which kind of has like a good forty-five minutes of setup before it really kicks off. Even something like Die Hard has kind of like a good half an hour of kind of setup, setup, setup before it starts kicking in. And I think kind of in this day and age, that too many films kind of forget that. Or I think it's it's, it's something that comes out of the way films are focus grouped and screened is that people kind of like, and even with our kind of film, we did get occasionally get some kind of pressure to say, get to the first zombie killing, you get to the first death. That's when the audience really like it. And now you have to make the point, yeah, but the audience really like it because they're with the characters at that point. They've watched half an hour of people that they kind of like sympathize with. And then when they have to become killers, it's a much more shocking thing. So that's why it gets bigger laughs is because we've had that slow burn build up to it.
1: The film also used sound effectively to help reveal what waking up to the zombie apocalypse might be like. It did that by contrasting the buzz and noise of normal life with the quiet of a zombified populace.
3: How many times do you kind of sit at home and the police go by and you don't look, even look out of the window? Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of... uh, So it was that kind of thing of that you can hear sirens and sirens and sirens but never stop to think, I wonder what's going on? You know, and and, and so it was kind of... So something that we kind of thought was both kind of funny and scary at the same time is that... Just that idea of just car alarms and kind of like police sirens kind of... And then actually when it gets to the Sunday when the zombies kind of like... When it finally happens, it goes kind of deathly quiet for a bit. So we wanted to have a, a film where... The first half an hour of the film has is, is got uh, like some kind of emergency siren going on in every single scene, and then on Sunday morning, like nothing.
1: Wright and Peg then delivered Hot Fuzz, which revealed their love for 80s action romances, and World's End, where they ventured into sci-fi territory. In between those films, Wright adapted the comic book Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Scott Pilgrim?
3: Hi, I was thinking about asking you out, but then I realized how stupid that would be. That's okay. You just need to sign for this, all right?
1: So do you want to go out sometime? I say yes, will you sign for your damn package? So yeah, 8 o'clock? What I love about Wright's films is that he pays meticulous attention to every detail. Music, sound, editing, casting, cinematography. Everything works together in perfect harmony. And everything is in there for a purpose. And generally pays off by the end of the film. Like Quentin Tarantino, he makes films that reflect his own love of cinema. But he doesn't have Tarantino's brash ego that can sometimes get in the way of his films. Wright doesn't call attention to himself, and the stylish flourishes that fill his films all seem to come organically from the material, so that we aren't ever pulled out of the movie to marvel at what he's done. He makes it all look so easy that we may actually overlook how truly skilled and meticulous he is as a director. I recently had the chance to do a short phone interview with Wright about Baby Driver. I may have gotten the interview in part because I saw him at the TCM Classic Film Festival, where he introduced Kentucky Fried Movie. I gave him a button I had made for the film for the segment called Catholic High School Girls in Trouble. He posted a picture of it on his Instagram account and said it was a great takeaway from the festival. So maybe that's what helped me get one of those limited time slots for an interview. And that's another thing about Wright. He's a genuinely nice guy and a true film geek. I had the pleasure of attending a film series he did at the New Bev. It was films that he hadn't seen but should have. I went when he was screening The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai*, and he had made a special printout packet of information about the film. Then he introduced it and sat in the front row to watch the movie with the audience. And after the film, he hung out to talk about it. That was an amazing screening. Baby Driver is his latest film, and I've already seen it twice. Here's a trailer to give you a taste of what it's like.
2: What is your name?
1: Baby.
2: Your name's Baby. B A B Y Baby. Baby.
0: This one you say listen to the music all the time.
2: Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow?
1: No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out, and that's what makes him the best. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Now, I don't think
0: I need to give you this feature about what happens when you say no, how I could break your legs and kill everyone you love, because you already know
1: that, don't you? Yeah. Because my interview time was so short, I didn't get to ask all the questions I wanted to. So I'm going to play one soundbite from the studio provided press kit in which Edgar Wright talks about directing. I want to play this because it goes to my point of how meticulous he is when he's directing. Here he talks about choreographing scenes and action to the music.
0: Sometimes in action scenes, you would occasionally be able to play the music out loud. So in that opening sequence when he's walking down the street and getting the coffees, that song was playing like Harlem Shuffle was playing out loud in the street other scenes it's only in Ansel's ears and maybe like Ansel has it in his ears i can hear it on my headphones and the camera operator can hear it but nobody else and then other times we had to play like a click track or something because sometimes when there's like guns firing nobody can hear anything <laughs> so in those cases then a, then a really amazing thing happens is the choreographer Ryan Hefferton who is an amazing genius he would um, get the actors to think in counts so say for example a scene where people are shooting in time of the music he would get them to memorize this part of the rhythm so it'd be a thing like Ryan going up to John Hamm and saying this next bit is you going
1: da 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 da
0: da 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 and I sort of, like, get that in your head.
1: And here's my interview with Edgar Wright. I apologize for the sound quality, but sometimes the studios set up interviews where they insist on staying on the line or keeping the talent on a speakerphone so they can listen in. Anyway, I started my interview with Wright by asking which came first, the playlist or the script for Baby Driver.
2: When I was 21, I was listening a lot to the song that opens the movie by the John Spence Blues Explosion but I would just imagine this car chase. So I would literally like dream the sequence based on the music. And then that became the idea of doing a film about somebody who is motivated by music and the idea of it being a getaway driver who needs the right music to kind of like excel. And, um, and it kind of went from there really. But so over the years, sometimes the, the songs would dictate the scenes. And sometimes, sometimes the, the the songs would dictate the themes, and sometimes I would have to find the right song to fit a scene. You know.
1: So, how did the finished film, the car chases and the car scenes, live up to the dreams you had when you were in your twenties?
2: Very similar. <laughs> I mean, I would say probably better, actually. Like, sort of, I think so. Sort of, I think I kind of, I couldn't be happier with how the film turned out, you know.
1: You have this real passion for cinema and for film. So how does that love for cinema kind of play out in your career choices and the kind of things that you want to do?
2: Well, I think it's kind of, sort of a bit of a no-brainer for me. Is I never think about what film I ought to make. I just think about what film I want to make. And I have to approach it that I... I want to make films that if I hadn't have made them, I would love them. So that's really sort of the only thing that governs my choices is like, what kind of movie do I want to see as a film fan?
1: But what you do so well is that you, even though a lot of your films or all of your films seem inspired by movies you love, you make each of these films completely your own without making them seem like they're just imitations.
2: Yeah, I um, I don't know. I mean, I... I, I think that's just the, the way that my life sort of um, brain works is that I, you know, whether, in some way I want to take the genre that I love and subvert it in some way. So Shaun of the Dead is like a zombie film through the, um, through the structure of a romantic comedy. This movie is like a heist movie but filtered through the music that the lead is listening to. So... It's always like I was trying to find... I mean, I, I couldn't... I didn't know if I was interested in doing just a straight heist movie because I kind of think, well, I've seen hundreds of those and, like, so what's the new angle? So that's the thing is I'm sort of looking of a different way of, like, refracting something that I really like to make something different.
1: What did you feel that you were kind of refracting in this one?
2: I guess it's the idea of seeing a heist... Film through the eyes and ears of a, a unique character.
1: In the A.M.
2: questions,
0: I got a question, Doc. Why would do I believe phones over here? Heard the goddamn word you said. You lay down your whole play. He ain't even listening,
1: baby.
2: target is an armored truck at Perimeter Trust in Dunwoody, 10 a.m. sharp. We have the details of the route because someone at the depot has a nasal problem. The bank itself is right near the Buford Highway, so we should be able to hit the ramp within 60 seconds of getting out. We also have a diversion crew. They're gonna blow up a bread truck a ways away, keep the fuzz busy. The dress code is the Michael Myers Halloween mask, but don't all buy your mask at the same time. It looks suspicious. The switch car is ready, but you want me to hit the long-stay parking structure at Hartsfield Jackson to get a heist vehicle that stays colder longer? boost a commuter car, a family car, something that blends in well with morning traffic. Something on the heavy side, in case we need to ram the cops off the road, Escalade, Yukon, Avalanche, whatever. It needs to be ready for an 8.30 start in the a.m. Questions? Well, ain't y'all, cute. That's my baby. And so, you know, baby is both like a young apprentice within a gang so to see, like, a movie... Like, sometimes those people are, like, subsidiary characters. Or, or you know, it's seeing a movie where, like, sort of, like, it's actually an inversion of what you normally see. Like, in Goodfellas, you know, Henry Hill is a sort of... a, a, a youngster that wants to be a gangster. Whereas at the start of our movie, Ancel was is already, like, a veteran driver and actually wants to kind of get out of it. So he's kind of, like, sort of wants to jack it in at the age of 20. So I think it's that thing about, like, they're all about people making kind of, like, grown-up decisions and, in a sense, like, you know, baby's decision to sort of, like, try and leave the life is his, like, first adult decision. I guess the other thing that then, obviously, the huge part of it is that not only are you seeing through the eyes of this young character, but also you're experiencing it through his, like, ears. You know, you hear the songs that he is hearing, and that in a lot of ways, kind of like motivates the movie.
1: What's you listening to? Oh, let me see. Tequila. This shit is bananas, dog. Tequila. Well, you always use sound really well in your films, especially Shaun of the Dead, just the kind of soundscape you create to let you know when the world has totally gone to hell. And So how do you approach sound when you're making a film? Because it seems like such an important part, and you use it in ways that other filmmakers seem to ignore.
2: I think you just always got to think about that, you know, if you're, not, if you're not using sound well, you're, you're robbing yourself of, like, 50% of the experience, I think it's just something where it's always that fun to play with the soundtrack and the sound effects and how those things combined together with the visuals can give you more information, less information, be imaginative with the use of sound and music. And that's also something I've been interested in. You know, with Shaun of the Dead, sometimes you're sort of using the sound to sort of conjure up the, the sense of things that you cannot afford <laughs> in that movie at least. So I think it's always been something that's interesting to me is how you can utilize sound to sort of just enhance the entire experience. I mean, this movie is, sort of becomes a movie about sound, you know?
1: And you also have him playing with sound too, creating his little kind of songs and raps that he does at home. was he slow. No, 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 no. Good kid. Yeah, devil, devil, devil behind the wheel. Was he slow? Retarded means slow. Was he slow?
2: No. no, no, no. What the hell else more than he did not do? Devil, 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 devil behind the wheel. Retarded yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was something I thought would be a fun idea. Like, I like when this artist, in fact, the, people, the person who actually made the song does songs like that. A Montreal DJ called Kid Koala. He actually did that track. No. He's a good kid. He's a good good kid. Devil behind the wheel. Was he he slow? You know, I always like people that make music out of found sound or like audio recording. So I thought it was an interesting thing for him to be doing. And in terms of the character, it's like he's mythologizing himself, which I think in turn is his way of compartmentalising the guilt. That like wherever like he he's fooling himself that he's not a criminal at the start of the movie. And I think creating this somewhat romantic persona of this daredevil getaway driver is actually a way of um, distancing himself from the real repercussions and, of the crime. But then the movie Sword becomes about having to take responsibility for your actions, That so the baby can keep on driving, but at some point he has to face the music.
1: There also seems to be a sense about him that he is sort of different from the other characters and there's this feeling, kind. it's almost like his innocence almost protects him because, you know, there's a lot that goes on and there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of action. And yet he seems sort of removed from it. It reminded me a little bit of in Raising Arizona, how the baby never gets hurt no matter how outrageous everything is around him.
2: I love that movie. I think with this, the idea is that actually it's about the, at the start of the movie, and I guess it's a very millennial thing that people talk about in terms of like just it, headphones themselves, is the character has kind of like con- constructed his bubble around him. And it's sort of, a, sort of a, a, like a, a safe place where it's like the one thing he can control in his life is like a car and his music. You know, he's kind of created a persona and a job where he can do that. But he's also, like, the, the the headphones and the sunglasses are like a see-no-evil-hear-no-evil no approach. And, and really, that the movie is about having those things taken away from him, so he has to kind of come to terms with what is happening and, and his part in it. Like, it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that a key part in the movie where he has to make a really um, big life-or-death decision is he's had his sunglasses knocked off, or, like, partly knocked off immediately before... So it's like it's forcing him to really look at what he's doing or what he's a part of.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And with a big part of the movie is, is this idea of like really sort of hammering it into people who might have this glamorous idea of being a getaway driver from not just the movies, but even video games, just this thing about reminding them that it is not a game and like sort of, and, you know, about the sort of the repercussions in the world Light of the, of, to those innocent people and also to the ones you love.
1: Well, it had a bit of a tone of, like, it, it felt like someone who as a kid watched these movies like Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and admired these characters that were breaking the law and kind of breaking out of conventional roles. But deep down, the person who loved those films also had kind of an innate sense of morality, too, <laughs> that kind of had to get balanced with it.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something that I mean, I I feel that because I feel like and uh, not to give away the ending, but if they just clean got away with it at the end, I would feel unsatisfied. And I think sometimes in those movies, you know, like movies like this usually end in one of two ways is like you could have your Bonnie and Clyde style ending or you could have your ending like the Getaway the Sam Peckinpah film where they literally get away at the end. And I really, and I don't want to divulge what it is, but I tried to think of a third way of ending it, which was kind of what the movie is. And, and that idea was there right from the start because I felt like, you know, you, I couldn't really condone an entire film of mayhem without having some kind of um, moment where there is some responsibility taken for the actions in the movie. And I think that's something that I always wanted to do. That I, I always liked that in the old 30s Warner Brothers gangster films. You know, that they had sort of a strong moral kicker to them. Like, I always loved the ending of Angels with Dirty Faces as a good example. Like, I think the ending of that film is fantastic.
1: I want to want to die, oh not oh, oh, make me that long. Oh please, I don't. please don't get me.
2: Please.
1: You've mentioned a lot of films that have car chases and and a lot of action and heist in them, but one thing that I was thinking of when I was watching the film is it also seems influenced by Hong Kong movies in the sense of... Action defines characters in a way that isn't, isn't used as often in American films?
2: Yeah, no, I think, that's, um, I think that's true. And I mean, I'm a big fan of, I watch a lot of kind of Hong Kong movies that are a very formative age. I think it's also something that, like, um, you know, because the character doesn't talk too much, like, you sort of see some moments in the movie are like purely in action. You know, almost like the entire third act. Revolves around one little action that Baby does. I think I can probably say what this one is. But like when he sees the teller going into the bank where he knows the heist is in progress, he shakes his head at her twice, as if to say, "Don't go in there." And that little action of him, like finally doing the right thing and breaking out of his passive nature as the getaway driver and actually stopping a member of the public. Um, walk into a crime, sort of ongoing crime scene. That is the right thing to do in the moment, but it has also become like the sort of the catalyst for the rest of the movie. But I like that because it's like a big, big moment in the script and, it, and in the movie that is not like a line of dialogue. It's just an action.
1: The way he handles the car, because the, there is a, not a lot of dialogue in it and there is a lot of action, but how did you want kind of the car scenes to kind of define who he, the different characters were? Because there's other people who drive also.
2: Well, I think one of the things that, um, that I think is interesting in the film is that Baby is, uh, the cars are kind of somewhat disposable to him. So it's it's actually sort of like, you know, a, a, an action film where the hero doesn't have a signature car. He sort of steals different cars at different points. So to me, it becomes, it's like sort of more about the ride than it is about the vehicle. So I thought that was kind of interesting is that he's like a, a sort of a savant uh, driving, but not necessarily linked to any one particular car. He can sort of drive anything.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. And I just want to say I met you briefly at the TCM Film Festival, and I'm the one who gave you the Catholic schoolgirls button. Oh,
2: <laughs> I love it. I you I, I saw my Instagram. I took a photo of yes. it. I love it dearly.
1: Well, I'm very happy that I was able to give that to you because you gave a great introduction for that film.
2: Oh, what a blast that was. Can you imagine having to introduce those four? (laughs) It was amazing.
1: It was. It was a lot of fun. And what was funny about that is because it was so late.
2: It was at midnight. Yeah. And I think they didn't realize it was at midnight and they were like, oh, are we going to be too tired? And um, after Top Secret. And then, of course, as soon as they got on there, they're like sort of just the funniest interviewees. It was amazing.
1: Oh, it was great, and you handled it all well, keeping them all kind of uh, on topic.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye. They call me baby. That was director Edgar Wright. His new film Baby Driver is out in theaters now, and you need to see it, and see it on the big screen in a cinema with great sound. Next week, I'll be talking about Hitchcock and the new TCM online class about the master of suspense. Thanks for listening to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. baby driver